Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 902. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabisa Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. But first, let's listen to the African Union anthem as we continue to celebrate Africa Month. And now, a look at our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine. Thousands of people march in Harare in support of President Mugabe. UN agencies provide food to families in the Central African Republic, and Africans urge to document and teach their own history in schools. In economics news, a delegation of Polish investors is in Rwanda to explore investment opportunities. And in sports news, South Africa's Olympic body name initial squad for Rio Olympics. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Kenyan police have arrested two suspected members of an Islamic State affiliate plotting a bomb attacks weeks after arresting other members of the alleged gang. Police claimed that the two men had been radicalized in a mosque in Islam in the capital Nairobi, where they were recruited into the Islamic State group ISIS, which they said is seeking to establish itself in Kenya. The two men are alleged to have been plotting revenge attacks after Mohammed Abdi Ali, the alleged leader of the group, and a medical student was arrested earlier this month, along with two others for allegedly planning an attack. They have not yet been charged. Meanwhile, Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed has called for a better way to bring home refugees from his country, with Kenya insisting that it will go ahead with its plan to close the world's largest refugee camp. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has showed room for discussion over a decision to shut a refugee camp for Somalis, but did not promise to reverse it. Kenya was last week drawing up a timetable to shut the Dab refugee camp home to over 350,000 Somalis because of security concerns. The United Nations and Western donors have urged Kenya to rethink and not forcibly return the Somalis. South Africa's former President Tabombeki says Africans should document and teach their own history in schools. Mbeki was speaking at an event to mark Africa Day in Pretoria on Wednesday. He says, contrary to some popular belief, Africa's racial and economic ills won't be solved by removing symbols of the past. He was referring to recent controversy over the destruction of apartheid monuments, such as the statue of former President Paul Kruger. We South Africa, we can't deny this reality that even South Africa of today is made up partly of its past. And you can't say 
that by removing Paul Kruger, you've therefore removed that past you haven't. It's a pretense. It's a show. And in some instances leads to failure to attend to the real challenges. Because you think the symbol is gone, therefore the substance has gone, and substance hasn't gone. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has defied calls by the opposition to step down. Addressing supporters at the end of a million men march in Harare on Wednesday, the 92-year-old leader criticized the opposition and the international community for wanting him to retire. I belong to my people. My people say stay here. I'm not, I'm not a Briton. I don't like to be an American. I'm not a Yankee. So they say I must go. But uh, within the party, do the outsiders, why do they want Zimbabwe, why do they want President Zimbabwe to stand down, to resign, to retire? Now, Channel Africa is celebrating its 50 years of existence. Thus, we continue to share with you recorded quotes from prominent personalities from around the continent and the globe, as well as previous recordings that mark the station's milestones. Here's Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe speaking at a NEPAD gathering. As our agenda discusses the issue of skills and migration, I wish to observe that the migration of African youths is an issue of serious concern that has to be addressed urgently. Not only does it dent our image as Africa, but also stymies our economic development endeavors. We cannot continue to allow a situation where our able-bodied men and women embark on a risky and perilous journeys across the oceans in search of a supposedly better world. In this context, I wish to call on the NEPAD agency to assist member states in creating facilities to equip our youths with the necessary skills that guarantee, the, guarantee them employment opportunities. That was Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe speaking at an EPAD gathering. And that's all from the news desk for now. I'll be back at nine. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It's 8.07 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 41-meter band to Far West Africa on this Thursday, May the 26th, the 147th day of 2016, with 219 days left in the year. A retired nurse from Nigeria has described how she gave shelter to 50 people who were fleeing the Boko Haram terrorist group. The 50 displaced people ended up staying for seven months and were fed and looked after by 59-year-old Aishatu Majima in Adamawa State in the northeast of the country. She explains what happened to the people who were fleeing Boko Haram. 
when they came, you know, the IDPs were so many by then, many people in the camp, and there were more people in the host community. So they came to my house in a pathetic situation. There is no how I can refuse them. It can happen to anybody, and mostly children and women. They were so tired, they were so disturbed, so I had to accommodate them. At a time, they were even using my office to live in, the, in my office because we were so many in the house. How long did they stay there? They stayed for seven months. It wasn't easy, but with special grace of God, with the meager resources I had, and with the support from neighbors, we managed it. I gave them place to sleep. They sleep in my house. They eat in my house. On daily basis, I buy drugs to children. The drugs that are not available, I have to buy it for the children. I buy clothes, all the needs, the basic needs. Could you describe some of the impacts Boko Haram had on, the, on these uh, displaced people? Boko Haram killed some of their husbands in front of them. There is a lady, Boko Haram killed her husband, slaughtered the husband. And another woman, you know, as she, they were fleeing, two of her children got sick and they died on the way. She has to leave them in the bush, in the forest, because of fear of being adopted or killed by Boko Haram. Again, with the remaining two children she, she had. That is the case. Dead bodies were left in other places like Lhasa. They came like military, and the Lhasa people assembled, thinking that they are coming to assist them. Unfortunately, they just killed all of them. And at the collective level, what do you think can be done to help these people being displaced by Boko Haram? They need more support to get money to be able to sustain their families. And then government infrastructures have been burnt, houses have been burnt. So these government infrastructures, because these people need hospital, health care, they need education, they need shelter. Channel Africa listener, this month, May 2016, yes, this May 2016, Channel Africa is celebrating 50 years of broadcasting and Africa Month. Join us this Saturday, the 28th of May, to experience the tastes, sights and sounds of our continent, Africa, right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Your favorite radio station, Channel Africa, will be broadcasting live from Johannesburg's Yeovil Boys Sports Grounds from 10 a.m. in the morning until 5 in the afternoon Central African time. For further information, check details on Channel Africa's website, www.channelafrica.co.za. 50 years of excellence in broadcasting. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Hundreds of thousands of Zimbabwean youth marched in the capital Harare in honor of President Robert Mugabe. 92-year-old Mugabe has been at the helm of the country since independence in 1980, and youth in his party say he is an exemplary leader who is respected on the entire continent. As a result, ZANU-PF Youth Wing organized a march yesterday that coincided with Africa Day in his honor. Simon Machama reports from Harare.
These are some of thousands of ZANU-PF youths who thronged the Zimbabwean capital Wednesday in honor of their leader, President Robert Mugabe. Mugabe, now aged 92, has been the country's leader since independence in 1980, and according to youths in his party, his leadership qualities are exemplary on the continent. The youths decided to honor their leader on Africa Day, a befitting way of honoring such a great revolutionary leader, they said. However, as a way of silencing detractors who are leaders of factions in the ruling party, the march, dubbed One Million Men March, was organized. Seeking to the hidden agenda of the march, President Robert Mugabe castigated factionalism at a time when he appears to be powerless over his foes. Mugabe criticized the ZANU-PF party leaders who are leading various factions, including his deputy, Emerson Munangagwa. Kubatana, the unity of our people, that there shall not be uh, persons who will say, because we are Zezuris, because we are Nikas, because we are Karangas, because we are Ndebeles, we must be treated differently. No. All of us are the same. We have Rwandas amongst us, Tongas amongst us, Kalangas amongst us. So no prior, no tribe should boast of superiority over another. Mugabe called for the youths and other party supporters to unite. Unity, unity and ever unity. That should be the beginning the bidding within us, within our bosoms, and of course, the bidding also, as expressed by the party, that bidding, we shall always be a, a guide as we organize ourselves. For some time, youths have been standing with the 92-year-old leader despite factionalism that has threatened to divide the party. The absence of the succession plan is brewing such internal fights, experts say, but Mugabe paid the deaf ear on the day and paid tribute to the youth for their support. And the thanks of my family, my wife, Grace Rui here, the whole family, to our youth, the Youth League of Zanu PF, for this great act, revolutionary act, planned by them, organized by them, Sure, as they say, with support from the women and also here and there support from the main body of the party. But they championed it did right through. Travel, they traveled and they were reporting to us, to each and every province, organizing the people for this march. They were determined that it would succeed. Along the way, Sure, they made some discouraging words, even from within and amongst us. But they persisted. They persisted. Although one million youths were expected to march on the day, only tens of thousands attended, citing logistical challenges such as transport. A number of those who attended expected to hear of job creation in a country where more than 80% people are unemployed. Meanwhile, Innocent Hamandishe, youth commissar, explained why the march coincided with Africa Day. Uh, you see, the president of Zimbabwe, Komar Robert Gabriel Mugabe, the icon of Africa, uh, he was the chairman of AU for the past year. 
and he, he did this thing so well that we as the youth we find it important that we celebrate reporting for channel africa in harare zimbabwe this is simon muchemwa If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. Information from satellite imagery is helping to assess the effects of the El Nino weather phenomenon in Zimbabwe and in the process, fight hunger in the southern African country. This is according to the World Food Programme's climate analyst, Rogerio Bonifacio, WFP, is teaming up with the European Space Agency to collect data on climate change in agricultural and pastoral regions. Yanni Congolosi has a story. An estimated 2.8 million people in Zimbabwe are currently considered food insecure, according to the World Food Program. Rogerio Bonifacio, a climate analyst for WFP, explained how extreme weather has led to what he called poor or failed crop yields. As a result of the current El Nino, Zimbabwe has suffered one of the driest seasons uh, in the past 35 years, uh, probably as bad as the 1991-92 season, the, season with, the last season with a very significant drought. And we expect very significant impacts on crop production um, and water availability and pasture resources. WFP is using technology to try and change that. They've partnered up with the European Space Agency and are using satellites to study the effects of climate change. Sentinel-2 is a brand new satellite that provides very high resolution uh, data with a very high frequency uh, of observation. And what this does is to allow us to better estimate the impacts uh, of El Nino on uh, crop production, planted area, and uh, and the likely uh, agricultural outcomes for the whole country. Uh, In particular, where WFP has a project named Food Secure with interventions at farm level, it will allow us to uh, evaluate better what the result of that intervention will be. Zimbabwe and other southern African nations affected by drought are also getting help from the Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO. They've launched a weather-based funding mechanism called Food Secure Climate Resilience, or Food Secure. The program provides smallholder farmers with drought-tolerant seeds and training in agricultural practices that take into account climate change and efficient use of natural resources. FAO reports that initial evidence shows positive yields. Janie Cangelosi, United Nations. Increased intra-African trade and rapid industrialization could help stimulate the continent's economic growth. This is according to South Africa's President Jacob Zuma, who addressed the gala dinner in Cape Town last night to mark the 53rd commemoration of the Africa Day. The theme of this year's celebration is Building a Better Africa and a Better World, a rallying call for African leaders and citizens to work towards the socio-economic advancement of the continent. Tsepo Ekaneng was there. Do 
diplomats, cabinet ministers and eminent African scholars gathered at the Cape Town International Convention Center to commemorate the founding of the Organization of African Unity, now the African Union, five decades ago. It's an occasion in which Africans take stock of the continent's socio-economic advancement and challenges. The continent's fragmented economic markets and lack of modern infrastructure continue to impede trade and investment flows. Intra-African trade accounts for a mere 11%. President Zuma has emphasized the need for the diversification of African economies to allow them to be globally competitive. We cannot continue to be producers and exporters of raw materials. We need to strengthen the manufacturing capacities of our national economies through industrialization. More importantly, the beneficiation of our raw materials remains a paramount importance. The mineral wealth of Africa must help eradicate poverty in the African continent. President Zuma has also highlighted the need for African governments to utilize modern technologies as a catalyst for economic growth and as a tool to harness youth potential in the field of innovation. We must take advantage of the global digital revolution so as to create employment and better the lives of our people. We are a very youthful continent and investment in education and skills development will take Africa closer to the goals of sustainable development and an end to hunger, disease and deprivation. Meanwhile, President Zuma says pockets of conflicts in the continent have the potential to limit the realization of socio-economic development goals. Despite the relative stability in many parts of the continent, there's been sporadic upsurge of conflict in some countries. South Sudan, Burundi and Somalia are some of the countries that are still experiencing some political and security instability. Terror activities by Boko Haram in West Africa and Al-Shabaab militants in the eastern part of the continent remain a major concern. President Zuma's efforts have been made to prioritize peace and security on the continent. We have taken a resolution that the guns must be silenced in the continent by 2020. We want an Africa that is at peace with itself. An Africa where women and children live without fear of attacks. An Africa where there are no displaced people and refugees. The continent is doing something to end the conflicts. What has been of concern is the ability of the concerned to respond with speed when conflict breaks out in order to protect lives. President Zuma has also reflected on the plight of hundreds of migrants who were exploited by criminal gangs engaged in human trafficking activities. Tsepo Ikaning in Johannesburg. African migrants who attended Africa Day celebrations in Yeovil in Johannesburg have used the day to vent out their anger and frustrations over the treatment they receive at the hands of South Africans. They say enough is not being done to protect their rights as migrants. 
The Gauteng Provincial Government and the African Diaspora Forum organized a march through the streets of Yeovil, a well-known multinational community, to commemorate the day. Ditaba Tzotezi has more. The Murua Celebratory as the Mashas are led by the South Brass Band crisscrossed the streets of Yeovil. From the young and old, they came out in large numbers to celebrate Africa Day. This is the day which commemorates the formation of Organization of African Unity in 1963. The OAU was then changed to the African Union at the event held in Devon in 2002. Some of those SABC News spoke to relieved how they continue to be treated badly by government when visiting government offices and health institutions. Major challenge migrant Africans are facing is documentation. If you are not documented, you cannot even enroll your kids to school. You cannot assess banking. In South Africa, they, they treat us like we are from Europe, but we are from in South Africa. They can't take us like we are human beings, but we are Africa is the one. I'm very happy for this day. I hope this day can unite us and stop the fighting amongst us, because we have South African brothers and sisters who are working in other foreign countries and they want to be treated well. So we should treat migrants in our country well. Gauteng Premier David Magura acknowledges these challenges and has assured the migrants that the provincial government will do all in its power to improve the lives of African migrants. So on an occasion like this, uh, as Africans, we uh, take a moment uh, to reflect on the progress of our continent and the challenges we continue to face in ensuring that uh, we transform and industrialize and modernize the African economy uh, and the African economies in that full sense of it so that Africans uh, can also have a better life in their own continent. Mark Bafo is chairperson of the African Diaspora Forum. He is happy with the working relations that the forum and the provincial government has in helping integrate African migrants into society and the broader economy. We are very, very happy to work with the Premier of Houghton, who is the only Premier out of uh, the nine others who understand what is integration. Because that's what we've been looking for as the African Diaspora Forum. They are there when we have challenges, they're listening to us and they address issues. Makura says despite setbacks facing Africa, there has been tremendous progress over the last 50 years in the fields of economics and democracy. We are making lots of progress. Since 1963, African economies and African countries are more integrated now. We are all investing in this important issue. We are not yet there, but we are getting somewhere. The second thing is that there's progress in the, on democracy in Africa. Yes, there are countries that are moving back and forth, but since 1990, we have more African countries that hold democratic elections. That was Premier of South Africa's Gauteng Province, David Makura, ending that report by Didaba Tzodetsi in Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetwa. Africa, Africa, wema.
sunrise. Le soleil est levé. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishadi, Mulibwanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilon Shele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Dear Channel Africa listener, this month, May 2016, Yes, this May 2016, Channel Africa is celebrating 50 years of broadcasting and Africa Month. Join us this Saturday, the 28th of May, to experience the tastes, sights and sounds of our continent, Africa, right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Your favorite radio station, Channel Africa, will be broadcasting live from Johannesburg's Yeovil Boys Sports Grounds from 10 a.m. in the morning until 5 in the afternoon Central African time. For further information, check details on Channel Africa's website, www.channelafrica.co.za. 50 years of excellence in broadcasting. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Kenyan police arrest two suspected members of an Islamic State affiliate plotting bomb attacks weeks after arresting other members of the alleged gang. The last remaining United Nations sanctions on Liberia have been lifted in a decision the United States says is a tangible sign of how far the West African country had come. And South Africa's former president, Tabombegi, says Africans should document and teach their own history in schools. Details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. Thank you, Amanda. Former South Africa's President Thabo Mbeki says Africans need to document and teach their own history in schools. Mbeki was speaking at an event to mark Africa Day in Pretoria yesterday. The former head of state blames Africa's social and political ills on a lack of leadership. Amos Pahofa compiled this report. Former President Thabo Mbeki has been hailed internationally as one of Africa's most revered thinkers and leaders. He says contrary to some popular belief, Africa's racial and economic ills won't be solved by removing symbols of the past. He was referring to recent controversy over the destruction of apartheid monuments such as statues of former President Paul Kruger. We South Africa, we can't deny this reality that even South Africa of today is made up partly of its past. And you can't say that by removing Paul Kruger, you've therefore removed that past you haven't. It's a pretense. It's a show. And in some instances leads to failure to attend to the real challenges. Because you think the symbol is gone, therefore the substance has gone, and substance hasn't gone. 
Mbegi says South Africa's education system needs to promote African pride, adding that colonialism doesn't define Africa's future. He made reference to the 1896 Battle of Adwa, wherein Ethiopian Empire defeated the Italian forces as an example of Africa's success story against colonial powers. Here is a major battle. The Europeans meet in in Berlin, 1884-1885, and decide to chop up the continent. Ten, eleven years later, Ethiopians win at Adwa, which is in direct contradiction in direct conflict with what Berlin had decided. Africa must be colonized. The Ethiopians said Africa will not be colonized and succeeded. And communicated therefore a message to all Africans that we can't. The fact that they met in Berlin and took this decision does not mean we must agree. And if we act, unite, as Ethiopians did, prepare ourselves as a, a fighting force as Ethiopians did, and make sure that we can mobilize all the people to engage this, we will win. Mbegi has called on Africans to conscientize the youth to continue the struggle to fully liberate the continent. I think one of the big challenges that we face as a continent is this mobilization of the African youth, raising their level of consciousness about ourselves, raising the level of pride, sense of identity, so that indeed they should take on these things that uh, Professor Schobia was talking about. We as the African youth must take responsibility for the transformation of the continent. We are no longer victims. Adwa said we are not victims, but we are victors. And so we can do this. Some of the speakers at the event lauded Mbeki's involvement in conflict resolution efforts on the continent, saying other African leaders and civilians should draw lessons from him. I'm Amos Paro in Pretoria. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, and the World Food Programme have begun providing provisions and support to nearly 50,000 hungry farming families in the Central African Republic. It coincides with the height of the lean season, when household food stocks are typically lowest. These farming families are located in the most food-insecure areas of the country. Roberta Canula, Emergency Preparedness and Response Officer with FAO, has more on the status of food security in the country. FAO and WFP, in partnership with many national and international NGOs, are supporting the agricultural campaign in Central African Republic by providing seeds, tools and food items to the most vulnerable farming households in the country. Uh, they are providing this uh, assistance right now because this is the period when the food stocks are at the lowest. FAO distributes crop and vegetable seeds, while WFP distributes food items with the intention to protect the seeds, so to avoid that these are eaten by families and they are no longer available at the time of planting. And this is what we call the seeds protection rations. And how many people exactly will these provisions help? The agricultural campaign intends to cover 100,000 families, which means around half a million people. The first cycle of the campaign, which is the one ongoing right now, is going to cover 50,000 households, which is about 250,000 people. And the second cycle will start in September and will cover a similar number of people. And how would you describe the overall status of food security in the country? Various assessments conducted by WFP and FAO in the last uh, months have shown a serious deterioration of the food security situation in the country, with uh, half of the population in a situation of food insecurity. 
The conflict has uh, severely uh, disrupted agricultural activities and affected the availability and access of the population to food items. And the population has suffered from the cumulative effects of several poor harvests, disrupted markets and soaring uh, food prices. And many of them had to adopt uh, negative coping strategies by selling their productive assets and therefore having a long-term impact on their livelihoods. And how many people would you say depend on the agriculture sector in Central African Republic? 75% of the population of Central African Republic depends on agriculture for their food and income. So the agricultural sector is key for the development and the future of the country and is the one who has offered uh, the most opportunities for economic growth and uh, working opportunities for young people and for returnees. So kick-starting food production and uh, revitalize the agricultural activities is key not only for the economic growth of the country, but also for its stabilization and for a lasting peace. And what are the next steps moving forward? The next step for us is to start immediately preparing the second cycle of the agricultural campaign. And we need to ensure that by before July, we have $8 million available for the agricultural inputs support to 50,000 families. But this is not the only activity that FAO is carrying out in the country. In fact, the humanitarian response plan of FAO appealed for $86 million to cover 1.5 million people with different activities in the agriculture agriculture, fisheries, livestock sector. And uh, we need to address this funding gap as at the moment only 8% of this appeal has been funded to be able to restore livelihoods and build resilience of the population in Central African Republic. That was Roberta Canula, Emergency Preparedness and Response Officer with the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, speaking to Sandra Ferrari of FAO Radio. The countdown to Lesotho's 50th anniversary of independence has officially begun. Later this year, on the 4th of October, Lesotho will celebrate its 50 years of independence from Britain. The celebrations have already begun in all earnest. They are aimed at reminding the Basutu people of who they are and what they have achieved as a nation, according to King Lizia III. To find out more on this, we earlier spoke to Lesotho's Home Affairs Minister, Advocate Lekreto Rakuane. Our preparation now are behind schedule, but we have to do that celebration, you know, which befits our founder, Kimushoshe the first, who after during the Rifagani had all lot of groups, you know, all over Southern Africa, uh, came to Lesotho as refugees and also came together with all other people who are already inhabiting this place, especially what is called the, the Great Caledonia Valley. That is where the Basotho nation was formed along that that valley. So it is a really a very important historical formation where a leader of the magnitude of Chimushwe brought together all those people and formed the the Basutu nation. With everything that's happened, the celebration has an accompanying logo, um, which reads Gaufela Rechabane Sakomu. Loosely translated, we are united as one nation. How do you as Basutu leaders ensure that the citizens live up to this? This is a clearing call which was made by the Kilidia said on the launch of that local. May as we have said, Madam, the message which is resonating 
that all of us belong to one nation, especially our king, Mushesh, but also Basut hold dearly uh, a cow or an ox, which is a very important animal, because we even actually have um, a proverb that says a cow is a god, because that is where all things, you know, Basutu, they depend on it, they go for plowing, for meat, you know, prestige in terms of showing that you are a rich person, and so we are all people of Mushwe, people belonging to cow, we are all a nation united by the cow, that is why we have that uh, slogan in perspective or the theme of our celebration. Now, Advocate Lecheto, is the situation in the country currently conducive to four celebrations after the political crisis um, that led to a SADC sponsored commission of inquiry? Has everything uh, returned to normalcy in Lesotho? Yes, ma'am. As far as we are concerned, everything has returned to normalcy. But much more importantly, we want to use this occasion because we are aware that there are still some of our people like those leaders that are in South Africa and they are, they are followers here. But we are using this celebration as a way of bringing people together to remember where we come from, to also remind ourselves the significance of our independence and also to put together an agenda for the next six years, which we would call 2066 agenda. So we are using this occasion to try to close those gaps, you know, the political misunderstanding, so that we are seen as one. So for independence, it's a very important nation-building initiative, and this should be part of healing and bringing our people together. So that is the call that we are making as a government under the leadership of our king, because this is a very important occasion for everybody. In fact, in particular, that even the opposition, part of them, uh, the BNP, they are the ones who, when they, uh, the British left, they left power with them. So they have to celebrate with us. So we are calling on the opposition, all the supporters. And in principle, we have agreed that this is a very important occasion for all of us. So our understanding is that we, we should use this moment as a moment of calling Basu to be together and a moment of healing. How is the celebration going to be marked in Lesotho and what does it entail? What exactly is going to be happening from um, this day onwards until the 4th of October? What we are doing now, it is really to raise the awareness to our people, especially we are studying with the district because the country is divided into 10 administrative districts. So each district will have a, a kind of celebration to bring the mood of celebration to the people and to ask the people at the uh, in the different districts to identify quite important national monuments or district monuments. So that is how we are getting the people along. But already there's a lot of preparation in terms of attire. You know, we put on blankets, we have the social dress. All these issues now are being brought about so that we, we, we put the mood in the celebration. The art group, the Ministry of Tourism and Culture is working into the whole agenda of how all those things should be configured together. You mentioned earlier the fact that uh, some Basutu, a lot of Basutu are in South Africa. Now, let's speak about the people who are outside Lesotho. Is there anything that is going to be done at the different high commissions globally for the Basutu people who are outside the country? We are having a group 
called the independent group who are also advising the government in terms of what we should be doing, especially with the diaspora. So the Minister of Foreign Affairs, together with Minister of Home Affairs, we are also trying to put together that kind of a menu for our diaspora. We should all come to celebrate and also make a very deep reflection in terms of what has happened in the past, what went wrong in the past, and with those lessons, be able to draw a very important map way forward for the next 50 years and able to put up an agenda. We are expecting us as a nation together to have this 50 years agenda, which we call the 2016-2066 agenda. That is the call from the government. That was Lesotho's Home Affairs Minister Advocate Lekheto Rakuane speaking to us earlier. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko. Increased intra-African trade and rapid industrialization could help the continent's economic growth. That's according to President Jacob Zuma, who addressed a gala dinner in Cape Town last night to mark the 53rd commemoration of the Africa Day. The continent's fragmented economic markets and lack of modern infrastructure continue to impede trade and investment flows. Intra-African trade accounts for a mere 11%. President Zuma has emphasized the need for diversification of African economies to allow them to be globally competitive. We cannot continue to be producers and exporters of raw materials. We need to strengthen the manufacturing capacities of our national economies through industrialization. More importantly, the beneficiation of our raw materials remains a paramount importance. The mineral wealth of Africa must help eradicate poverty in the African continent. More than 100 bank accounts have been frozen by South African Reserve Bank on suspicion of being used in illicit financial transactions. The bank's head of financial surveillance, Elijah Mazibugo, says that they have arrested four people in four provinces and investigations are continuing. Taking from January 2015 to date, uh, 145 bank accounts have been frozen as a result of suspected uh, illicit financial flows. And approximately out of those 145, there's, a, there's about 307 million rand that has been blocked. And then you also have opened 77 new investigation cases during that period. And then we, as I said, we work with the enforcement agencies. There has been arrest in KZN, Pumalanga, Western Cape and Gauteng. Japanese automaker Toyota has invested 390 million US dollars to expand the production of its Hilux and Fortuner models in South Africa. Toyota South Africa said it aims to increase output at the plant, which expects to hit full production in June by 20,000 units a year and boost exports. The firm says it already exports to 74 countries, mainly in Africa and Western Europe. Namibian public housing programs will need to be complemented with accelerated urban infrastructural development and the further strengthening of rural growth centers to create 
more rural jobs and contain the rapid rural to urban migration. Also, having passed a new public procurement law in 2015, work on the public finance management law must be sped up to reinforce economic governance. These are some of the recommendations contained in the African Development Bank reports titled African Economic Outlook 2016. A delegation of Polish investors is in Rwanda to explore investment opportunities in various sectors of the economy. The Deputy Director of the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs Department of Economic Cooperation, Iwona Wawika Sulaska, said the business trip aimed at creating a strong platform that will enable investors from both countries to forge strong trade partnerships, thus strengthening bilateral and economic relationships. It is also part of the many initiatives that will foster trade relations between the two countries. The US dollar trades at 15.65 in South Africa, 11.08 in Botswana, 10.26. Now that's in Zambia, 6.8 British pound, 8.9 euro, gold $1,229, platinum $1,003 an ounce, brand crude oil $50, 1 zero cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabiso Lohoko. Thank you, Tabiso. A sports update up next with Figure Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour. Proteas coach Russell Domingo says their ultimate goal this summer, starting with their triangular series against West Indies and Australia in the Caribbean, is to fight their way back up to the top of the International Cricket Council's rankings in all formats. The Proteas go into the series starting on the 3rd of next month, having dropped to 6th place in the ICC Test rankings while holding on to the 3rd place on the ODI rankings. Domingo says they're well aware that they need to turn things around and work their way back to the top. You know what it's like when you're number one, it's important. When you're not number one, it's not that important. Look, we know we haven't played great cricket of late in test cricket. There's no doubt about it. Chatting to my son, my 11-year-old son, he reckons it's a good thing that we've dropped down because it takes a little bit of pressure away from you from trying to hold on to that position and doing whatever you can to get into that position. We now know we've got up our game in this format. It's nice to be back in the pack, I suppose, and chasing a side that's number one. We know that things change so quickly with the rankings. You beat one or two sides that are above you. Before you know it, you could be number two or number one again. And so we're fortunate we're playing some sides that are ranked above us this year. We're playing New Zealand, we're playing Australia, and that provides us an opportunity to get up those rankings again. So for me, it's a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time for the new captain, for some of the players who want to prove a point. Although it's a, a bit of a disappointment that we've dropped down, I think it's a blessing in disguise for us because we've got to reassess and make sure that we get back to where we need to be. The Proteas are scheduled to play six games in the triangular series, three against each side, before taking on the Aussies in two series home and away over the summer. Domingo says there's a lot at stake going up against the two sides and they know that nothing less than victory will suffice, especially for the people of South Africa. 
Whenever you play Australia and the West Indies, two of the big sides in world cricket, there's a lot at stake. I mean, you know, the East West African Australia is a side that you've always wanted to judge yourself against. So we're playing against them a lot this year. We've got five one days against Africa. We've got a test series there. So that's the start of a lot of cricket against Australia. And the last time we played them in a in a sort of a triangle, we beat them in a final. And hopefully we can do that again this time. Winning is important for South Africa. We know that. Uh, the public demands that. The cricketing people demand that. Um, we demand that uh, because we've got a really good side. And that's what we're hoping to get out of the series. And in rugby news, the South African rugby side Bulls coach Nolis Marais has made only one change to his starting lineup and another on the bench ahead of his team's Vodacom Super Rugby clash against the Lions at Loftus First Field on Saturday. Bjorn Basson replaces Travis Ismail at wing, with the latter being released to attend to a personal matter, while former Springbok hooker Bandi Semaku makes a return to the bench in place of Yako Fezahi. Marais says he wants to stick to the team that played well against the Stormers last week and it is just a reward for the players as well. Meanwhile, the Bulls captain Andreas Stross has warned his team against relying too much on their defense, which won them the game against the Stormers and believes that the Lions will ask them a lot of questions outside. And finally, with the golf news, the Masters champion, Danny Willett, this week headlines one of the European Tour's most prestigious events, the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. Nick Dye reports. Willett reckons he was stale in Ireland last week, but he trusts being in front of what he calls some of the best crowds of the year will help restore his game towards the standards of Augusta. Fellow English players like Lee Westwood, second to Willett at the Masters, and Luke Donald, who's won this event on two occasions, they'll also attract plenty of attention. And Bjorn Hung defends a title for the first time, having won in scintillating style last year, while his fellow Koreans Wang Jun-hoon and Lee Soo-min make their debuts on the back of their victories. It's a star-studded field as always, despite notable absentees, and the likes of Martin Keimer, Russell Knox, Francesca Molinari and Shane Lowry will all expect to be among the contenders. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Thousands of people march in Harare in support of President Mugabe. UN agencies provide food to families in the Central African Republic. And Africans urge to document and teach their own history in schools. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagadza and Humuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Ismail Lowe with a song titled Jammu Africa.
morning and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. First, let's cross over to the news desk for the latest news from Africa and abroad. 